The message that I have uh, to give to you this morning is as an entirely practical message because it's about adversity, the kind that we have to go through because someone in our lives has done the wrong thing to us. Can anyone in here relate to that? Is there anyone in here who can't relate to that? No, because every one of us will have to face challenges in life because someone close to us decided to do the wrong thing. This summer, we're focusing on trust. We're learning about the process of faith where a person decides again and again to trust God, to put oneself into God's hands spiritually and emotionally and mentally. That process where we learn over and over again to believe in God and to trust him, that is the process of faith. It's the process of trust, and that's our subject this summer. My hope is that each of us for being here this morning will learn how to walk through the kind of adversity that comes because someone else did the wrong thing. We'll learn to walk through that with trust. And this is what I'm going to show you this morning. The outcome of adversity depends on your outlook on adversity. Did you get that? There's two words there that start with O. I did that on purpose. Outlook and outcome. The way that you choose to look at what happens to you will determine the outcome of what happens to you. And what you are offered here this morning, what I'm going to offer you, is a particular view on adversity that comes from faith. From trusting that no matter how hard things are, God himself is with you and is good in the midst of whatever adversity you have to face because someone chose to do the wrong thing. And the truth about you, every one of us, is that someone will do the wrong thing to you. Maybe it will be a friend or a sibling. Maybe it will be your parents or your children, someone that you work with or even a stranger, life for you will be going along okay. And then because of what they did, everything will change. Everything will become different. And in this moment, you will be tempted to believe that because of what they did, well, then everything's ruined from then on. But the truth about God is that we are invited to trust that even in the midst of adversity, he is with us and still capable so that how we decide to respond, that can actually become a factor in the outcome itself. We're going to learn this from one character in particular, a man named Joseph. Some of you know the story of Joseph as it's recounted in the Old Testament. If you know about Joseph, would you nod or let me see that you know who that person is? Do not be tempted right now to believe that you can turn your mind off since you've already heard six sermons about Joseph. Get over it. You're going to learn something new, okay? If you've never heard his story and you will open your eyes to what you see, you will stand to benefit in this way. Listen to me. Joseph was a man of profound faith, and yet he suffered over and over again because people in his life did the wrong thing. But, but instead of giving up or becoming bitter or turning away from God, as you will surely be tempted to, especially if you believe in God and yet you suffer, Joseph thrived. And he succeeded beyond what anyone could imagine. And it was all because of the outlook that he chose to take 
on the suffering that he had to face. The outcome of his adversity was determined by his outlook on adversity. And right here at the top, I'm going to show you what his faith made him uh, see in the adversity he faced. There's a statement in his story, it's at the end of his story, where he was standing face to face with the perpetrators of an injustice against him that could have ruined his whole life. But instead of ruining his life, he believed in God and it made all the difference and this is what he said to them. This is Genesis 50 verse 20. He said to them, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Joseph believed that right beside every wicked intention against him was standing God's good intentions for him. He believed that alongside every human effort to take him down, he could see God's effort to lift him up. Intention with human wickedness on the one side was God's goodness on the other. And what Joseph believed is that God's power and will and intention would prevail in the end. That between these two, God's love and benevolence would win out every time over human cruelty and wickedness. He trusted that, and believing that made all the difference in terms of the impact of the adversity. Now, I want you to listen to this. Even though he had this faith, he still suffered over and over again at the hands of others but because he trusted this, he got to see with his own eyes the power and the will and the intention of God win out in the end. And this is why I'm excited to deliver this message to you this morning, because the truth is, this outlook can have the same impact for every single one of you in here this morning. And that is what I hope for, because I know enough about human life to know that all of you, every one of you, is going to face adversity because someone in your life who should do otherwise will do the wrong thing. But you do not have to only sink into misery because of it, because God has given you the agency to decide how you're going to respond to it, and the outlook of trust will change the outcome of adversity every time. You're going to get sick of me saying outlook and outcome, but I don't care. I want you to take this to heart because in every environment that you find yourself in, you'll face this challenge. As it was true for Joseph, we're going to look at three episodes in his life where he suffered at the hands of others. The first was the suffering he experienced in his family. Do you know that every single one of you will suffer at some point in your life because a family member will mistreat you? Has anyone ever been mistreated by a family member? You can show, even if your family's there with you, you can show us. <laughs> if they haven't yet, at some point, they will. Your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your children. Joseph was born into a family that had 12 children in it, and then there was one more after him. He was one of 13. He had one sister and then 11 brothers. He was the second youngest in his family, which in his day was supposed to mean that he was the second least important. But in his case, it wasn't like that. His father loved him more than all the other children and everybody knew it. Someone in this room has had to suffer because their parents preferred their siblings over them. And that's hard. That's hard in a way that you can only know if you lived through it, but to see your mom and your dad loving 
that other one more than you? That's the life that Joseph was born. All of Joseph's brothers were born into because Joseph was the favorite. Joseph's brother, brothers were out working in the field one day. They were taking care of the sheep. Joseph was back home with his dad. He didn't have to work because his dad loved him more. Joseph comes up over the hillside while his brothers are there working. They see him coming at a distance, and one of them says, you know what we should do to make life right for us is we should kill him. When he gets here, we'll kill him, we'll take his robe, we'll dip it in the blood of an animal, and we'll tell dad that he was attacked and we couldn't do anything to save him. And they could have gotten away with it. One of the brothers thinks better of it and says, you know what, let's do this instead. Let's not kill him because then we'll have to hold on to the guilt all our lives. Let's sell him into slavery and then we can hold a bag of silver instead. When he comes, they, they grab a hold of him, they tie him up, they take off his coat, they throw him into a pit and they wait until the slave traders from Egypt come by. And while he waits there in the bottom of that pit, they wonder how much will we get they sell him, it's 20 pieces of silver. Can you imagine trying to divide 20 pieces of silver among 11 brothers? Think of that. There in that pit, there is absolutely nothing that Joseph can do to change the way that he has been mistreated by his brothers. You, my dear friends, either have it in your past or in your present or it will come along in the future, there is nothing that you will be able to do to change the way that some family member will mistreat you by doing the wrong thing. The only question for you is, what will you do in light of their mistreatment of you? How will you face it? And the question is, will you face it trusting God or not? In Joseph's case, for him, the faith that he has in God means that he faces the adversity that comes upon him differently than if he didn't have faith. And so when he's down there in the bottom of that pit with his brothers up there, what he decides to believe is this mantra that characterizes his approach to all of the adversity he suffers. There in the pit, he says, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. He says that in his heart with his brothers up there. Now, I want you to listen carefully. When a family member mistreats another person, when, when someone's born into a terrible family and has to suffer unjustly, it is right to ask the most natural question, why should it have to be like this? And maybe you yourself have had some faith in God and yet you've watched others born into terrible situations and you've asked, why would God make it so they would have to be born into that bad situation? Maybe you've asked that yourself based on your own family experience. And that's a great question, but listen, I want you to see this morning something that is complex but incredibly powerful potentially. It's this. The answer to that question of why cannot be given until the response of the one who suffers is factored in to the overall event. Think of that for a moment. The meaning of evil from one family member to the other remains undecided until the response of the one who has been mistreated is factored in. Do you see it? Can you help me? Do you, does anybody see this? Help me. I need help here. Do you see that? The outcome of injustice depends on the outlook of Joseph in this moment. What, what this mistreatment of his brothers will ultimately mean waits for him to decide whether to respond 
with no faith at all or with the faith that says God still means what's happening to me for good. Now, please listen carefully. This is important not to miss. This outlook does not mean that Joseph believes God threw him into the pit. He doesn't believe that. He knows his brothers did. It doesn't mean that he thinks God is secretly behind what his brothers did, making them do it. It was their jealousy and their immaturity that threw David or Joseph in the pit, and Joseph knows that. What it means, listen, is is not that God threw him in the pit, but that God is with him in the pit. And that makes all the difference. It means that Joseph is able to look at this injustice and see that right beside this adversity, which his brother's ill intentions have caused, is the good intentions of the God whose will cannot be thwarted even by the ugliest human wickedness in a family. You hear me? And, and what, what will come of it depends entirely on what Joseph chooses to believe in this moment. And in this case, the wickedness of Joseph, Joseph's brothers doesn't stand alone. It's mixed in with the meaning that Joseph decides to make of this event, which is what these brothers of mine meant for harm, God somehow is going to mean for good. And the truth about your family adversity is that the outcome will be the same in kind as it was for Joseph for you. Will you face it trusting that even though they did this thing against you, God is right there beside you and intending to do something good for you, maybe even through the bad thing which they did. Can you imagine trying to believe that? Can you or not? Yeah, you can. You can believe that. Every one of you can. Joseph did. And the outcome for him was good. Because he believed this, it made all the difference in what happened for him next. Some of you know that after being lifted from the pit, Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt and he's purchased by the head of the entire military complex in Egypt, the commander. If you know the name of this guy, you get a gold star on your way out today. His name is Potiphar. I saw you mouth it. I'm getting the star. Boom. If you don't know, here, let me tell you this. Listen, Potiphar, the guy who ends up buying him, is the most powerful military commander in all of Egypt. He has lots of servants and slaves who work with him. But get this. Because Joseph believes that God's goodwill cannot be overthrown by other people's bad will, he works hard, even though in that environment you could have become depressed and just got by with the bare minimum. Every day, he applies all the skill and all of the wisdom that he has to working hard, and it works well for him. He goes from being the lowest all the way up to being the highest person in all of Potiphar's uh, servants. And so he gets invited to go into the house and work right there inside the house. He's given responsibility for everything that happens there. But what this does is it sets the stage for a second kind of injustice that he will suffer. Not the kind of injustice that comes from the mistreatment of family members. This time, it's the injustice that comes from being mistreated at the place where you work. Here's a second truth this morning. Every person who has a job will at some point or another have to suffer because someone else who works with them will do the wrong thing. Does anybody in here know that from experience? Yeah. If you don't know that, it's because you have not had a job yet. <laughs> and I mean that. 
uh, you young kids who are, are here um, and you're wondering if it will get much, much easier when you're not in school anymore, well, it will still, life will still have all of its challenges because at work, someone will do the wrong thing against you and it will make your life harder. That is the truth. Adults, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. But listen now, the outcome of that adversity will be determined by the outlook of the person who suffers that adversity. Here's what happened to Joseph. In that home where he worked, lived the wife of his employer. Potiphar's wife was there. And she took an interest in Joseph because the Bible says this, he was handsome and good-looking, in case the first descriptor didn't work. (laughs) Handsome and good-looking. There was a day when at work, he was doing his tasks, She approached him when the two of them were alone, and she said, this is what it says in the Bible, she says, lie with me. That's a very direct pickup line. (laughs) There's no question what she wants. Now, if you put yourself in Joseph's position, imagine being a man who's been thrust into becoming a slave, and you have to live alone with the company of these slaves all these years, and now the wife of the most powerful man in the land wants to be with you. She must have been very beautiful. She invites him, lie with me. And in this moment, he has to decide whether to face the adversity he finds himself in, trusting God or moving forward according to his own feelings. And what he decides to do is what is right because this is a man who trusts God. And he looks at this woman and he says, that is someone else's wife. And even if I could get away with it, it's not the right thing to do. And so he says to her, I will not. I will not sin against God and I will not sin against my master, your husband. And he says, no, and it doesn't work. She keeps coming after him over and over and over again. Imagine the self-control and self-denial that this man would have to exercise. But Joseph is a man who trusts that even when things happen against him, his responsibility still is to do what's right at every step. And as long as he does that, God bends everything into good. There comes a time when it's just the two of them at home. And now Potiphar is away for a long business trip. She grabs a hold of him drags him toward her bedroom. He runs away because he will not do this wrong thing and he leaves his garment behind in her hands and runs off. She takes the garment and when Potiphar returns, she tells her husband, this slave of yours tried to lie with me by force. Thank God I was able to get away. Here's the proof. And then Joseph has to go to prison. Man, you think you've got it tough at work? (laughs) But some of you do. Some of you do. I can't say much to those of you who do the wrong thing at work and get punished for it, except for maybe something like you have to lie in the bed that you make. But there are many of us here who will do the right thing at work. And despite that, we will suffer accusations, lies, injustices that make it harder. Do you know that Jesus actually promised his followers that they would suffer because they followed him. And I know this, the environments in which many of us work will reward dishonesty and punish integrity. And this is what happens for Joseph. He does the right thing and ends up going to jail because of it. And in that moment, can't you envision this guy saying, well, I tried to follow God and believe in him and do the right thing, but look at where it landed me. Forget God. No, that's not his outlook. Yet again, 
in this jail cell, thinking of what he's gone through, his heart says, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. He chooses to believe still in jail that this is the truth about God, that his good intentions are always standing beside every wicked intention of man, of woman, in such a way that their action does not have to determine the outcome. Listen, this is important to be careful here. This does not mean that Joseph believes being in jail is actually a good thing. Have you ever heard someone talk about bad things that happen in the world in such a way that you think maybe they actually believe those are secretly good things? Like that you fell down the steps, God bless you, thank God I'm falling. <laughs> no. The, the bad things that happen in life, the evil things that come up against us are bad and are evil. And they're not God's intentions. God doesn't want terrible things to happen. They happen nonetheless. But in this moment, Joseph can believe that even though God didn't put him in the jail, that God is with him in the jail. And you also are invited to believe that. And believing that, listen, doesn't also mean that you're supposed to believe that automatically everything will turn out good in the end. That's not true either. Because Joseph could have languished in that jail cell and given up and just given up being who he was. And if he had, then nothing good would have come out of it. But what happens in jail is that he goes on trusting this, and therefore he goes on using every single gift that God had given him in faith, and that ends up being his deliverance in the end. You also are invited to do that, to go on using the gifts that God has uniquely given to you, no matter what others are doing to you. And every one of you has a unique gift. Do you know what Joseph's unique gifts were? Does someone know? He had a gift for one thing, dreams. He had a gift for dreams. Do you know what really got him in trouble with his brothers in the beginning? Some of you know that story. When he was a kid, he had two dreams, listen to this, in which he saw a vision that said one day he would basically become king and everyone in all of the land would come and bow down to him. And once he had these dreams, do you know what he did? He went to his older brothers and he said, one day you are gonna bow down and worship me. Congratulations, me. How do you think this went with his brothers? That was one of the ingredients that led them to wanna kill him in the first place. And he knew that. And so you can imagine that that gift, and by the way, it was a God-given gift. God gave him that gift. Can't you imagine how he would be tempted never to use that gift again? I promise you this. I promise you this. That if you use the gifts that God has uniquely given to you and it leads to adversity, you are gonna be tempted not to use those gifts anymore. And let me tell you what some of the gifts are that you have. Some of you have the gift for compassion. That is, you let your heart go out when you see someone else suffering. And if you use that gift, your heart's going to be broken into pieces and it's going to be really painful. Some of you have a gift for mercy, that you'll forgive that person who did the wrong thing. And do you know what's going to happen when you exercise that gift? They're going to hurt you again. Some of you have a gift for hospitality. You're going to open your home and you're going to make a wonderful spread for people and they're going to enjoy the heck out of it and they're not going to say thank you. And there's going to be a temptation in your heart to say, you know what, forget them. I'm never being nice again. I promise you, this is what happens when we use the gifts that God has given us. In jail, in jail, listen to this. Joseph, once again, trusting God, rises up 
He, he stands out amongst all the prisoners because he doesn't let his circumstances turn him into a depressed, uh, bitter person. Instead, he still trusts God in jail. And two guys come into that jail and they can't sleep because they've been having really bad dreams. And so what Joseph does is said, you know what? Why don't you come and sit down? Tell me your dreams and I'll interpret them for you. He uses the gift that got him in trouble in the first place because it was a gift God had given him. The first man, the outcome of his dream, Joseph has to tell him, you're going to die in jail. It's not very pleasant, but it's true. The outcome of the second dream, he tells this guy, you are actually going to get freed from jail and you are going to go work again with Pharaoh, who is the most powerful man in all of Egypt. And then Joseph makes one request of him. He says to him, when you get out, will you remember me to Pharaoh because I'm in here unjustly? And that man who became his friend says to him, I promise I will remember you when I get out. He's freed. He immediately forgets his promise to his friend. Listen. This is a third injustice in Joseph's life. Not only is he mistreated by family, not only is he mistreated at work, but a friend who should have remembered him forgot him. And the truth about life for all of us here, every single one of us, is our families are going to let us down, our work is going to treat us badly, and every single one of you will one day be mistreated by a friend, and it might be absolutely devastating for you when they forget you. In Joseph's case... Because this guy forgets about him, he has to stay in a jail cell for two more years. Can you imagine that? And, and I have to say this because I'm a pastor who's listened to thousands of people over the last 25 years. All around you are people who are basically imprisoned spiritually and emotionally and mentally because of the, the things that their friends have done to them. Do you know that? If you're thinking right now, does he know about me? I do, because I know about what it is to be a human being. The question for you, in the case of what happens from your family, in the case of what happens from work and from friends, is not what will they do to me, but how will I respond to this adversity? What is the outlook that I will take so that the outcome is different? Look at it one more time. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. That is such a powerful statement of trust that someone from our church, someone on our staff has it tattooed on their arm. You're wondering right now, who is it? <laughs> if you've been around Renaissance, you're saying, oh, of course, of course their staff members have tattoos. Look how hip and cool this church is with their lights. And... But which one is it? On the arm of one of our staff members, it says Genesis 50, 20. Because it's a person who knows from life and wants to remember always that whatever happens to me, the outcome is not determined until I choose whether I respond to it with trust or not. And that is exactly true of every single one of you. In Joseph's case, after the two years pass, listen to this, that guy remembers his friend who he had forgotten because Pharaoh, the king, is having bad dreams. And he tells Pharaoh... You know, I know someone who's good at interpreting dreams. 
Pharaoh's dreams are impossible for him to understand. He wants to know what they mean because he knows they're significant. And so word goes back into the jail. Joseph is brought out and set right beside the king of all of Egypt. And, and, he's, and people are told, this guy can interpret dreams. If you were Joseph, wouldn't you say, nah, I retired from that? But he doesn't. He listens. And Pharaoh starts to unfold the visions that God had given him. And Joseph knows right away, your dreams indicate that a famine is coming, which will kill everybody in the land unless we take certain steps to avoid it. And listen to this. This is brilliant. Because he was a slave and a servant for all of those years because of the mistreatment of his brothers, he actually learned something working out in the fields about agriculture so he could tell Pharaoh, these are the steps which if you take, the famine will be averted. And so Pharaoh believes him. For years, they prepare and plan. And when the famine strikes, instead of everybody on planet Earth being destroyed, the population is preserved. Because Joseph decided to go on trusting God and using the gift that he had, everybody was saved. Everybody, listen to this, including his own brothers, who thought he must have perished years earlier as a slave. So that when they are desperate enough to leave their homeland and make their way to Egypt so that they can beg for food. The person that they bow down to asking for mercy is their brother. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Can you picture that? The dream that God had given him came true, but in a way that no one would ever have guessed. And in this moment, listen to me, Joseph would have had every right to say to his brothers, send them to jail forever. But instead, what he says to them is this phrase. This is actually when it's pronounced in the scriptures. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And believing that, he forgives them and frees them. He embraces his brothers and he says to them, I love you. And he restores them and gives them everything they need to thrive. The impact of believing in God's goodness even through the adversity that we face is impossible to overestimate. And I'll tell you what, in my years of pastoring, what I am absolutely certain of is what most people overestimate is the impact in their own lives, the impact of what other people do against them. And what almost everybody underestimates is the potential impact of the outlook that they are free to choose to take on the things that are done against them. In Joseph's case, it's pretty apparent. Don't you see it? It's even more apparent in the life of Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this. Okay, this is important. If you don't believe in God, if you don't have faith, then there is no use at all in being hopeful when miserable things happen against you because all you have to go on is your own resources and your own strength. And so if you go through life with no faith in God, then it should be no surprise and there's no big problem in becoming someone who becomes increasingly bitter and hopeless and jaded as the days go forward. That makes perfect sense if you don't have an outlook of faith. But for anyone in here who says, I do believe in God and I have begun to trust in Jesus, then any time you suffer adversity and let it have the last word, that is a completely unnecessary 
tragedy, and you don't need to do it. In the life of Jesus, we see a man who was perfectly faithful and trustworthy and obedient to God at every step of his life. And where did it land him? It landed him facing the ugliest act of human wickedness, maybe that anyone could ever consider. By, by the estimate of the governor who sent him to the cross. This is not a religious outlook. Just the ordinary governor said, that man didn't do anything to deserve this. He came to serve and love the least of these, and the powerful people in his own religious community crucified him for it. That is a perfect act of a community meaning something for harm. And when Jesus died, it looked like the greatest victory that evil had ever won, maybe. But then three days later, what became apparent in the resurrection of Christ is that what they meant for harm, God intended for good. Can you see that? Because this is what Christians believe. And whether it's true or not, it's up to you to accept that when Jesus was crucified, it wasn't actually evil's victory. It was the undoing of evil. Because when he rose again, he rose with a victory over sin and death for every man, every woman who would mistreat the people around them. And this is just a by the way. Not only will you be mistreated by your family, but you, I will also mistreat my family. Do you know that? And not only will you be mistreated at work, you're probably going to mistreat someone else at work. And not only will you be let down by friends, but you are going to let down your friends. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he came with a victory over all of my failures and your failures and the failures of all those other people. And what it was, was a supreme example of human wickedness not getting the last word because God's goodness wins out over human evil every time in the end. And listen now, and this is, I'm giving this to you. Whether you experience that now or not will come down to the outlook that you choose to take on adversity. The Apostle Paul was a man who had the same kind of trust in God that Joseph did but he also saw the resurrection of Jesus as God's ultimate triumph over sin. Look at what he wrote about outlook. This is Romans 8, 28. He wrote this. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. That is a statement of trust. It's a statement of faith about how we are able to look at all things. Look at the first clause. All things work together for good. All things. The good things and the bad things. The kindness and the cruelty. The righteousness and the wickedness. All things, every single thing, the, 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 all of it works together, is a part of a process, are, are elements in a dynamic whole that awaits its meaning until you decide how you will respond. None of it is determined until after you exercise the unique agency which God has decided to put into your hands. And in faith, it is true that all things work together for good. How? Because God is at work in all things and God is perfectly good. And in the end, God's power, which is his love, will win out over everything every time. That is the truth in the end. But right now, today, July 10th and July 11th and July 12th, whether you experience the goodness of God in the pit or in jail or whatever misery you face because others have done the wrong thing, it all comes down to whether you are willing to trust to trust God. And that's actually the meaning of the second clause. Look at it. It says, for those who love God. 
If you wonder what it means to love God, let me tell you, it just means to trust him. It means to believe that his goodness is also for you. That's what it means. The Apostle John said it. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He went on to say, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. To trust God means to accept his love for you, and out of that love, love the people around you. Which people? The people who conspire against you to throw you in a pit. The people who lie about you, and it makes work impossible. The people who forget about you, so you are stuck where you wouldn't have been if only they'd kept their promises. You believe and trust that God works all things together for good, and the outcome of the adversity that you face will be different. And, and now, listen, the rest of it is in front of you. That's where it is. You know who's beside you at every step? is God. And God is beside you. God, that's all right. That means I should be finished. Like another 30 seconds. God is beside you. Please get this. God is beside you so that you don't give up on the dreams that he has given you because you need those and so does the world. And he's beside you so that you will shine like a light in the darkness. The darkness of adversity because people will do the wrong thing. Now, my prayer for you, and it's specific. My prayer for you is specific for those of you whose dreams I know and whose struggles I know. And for those of you who I do not know personally, God knows exactly what it is for you. And so you open your heart now, and I'm going to pray for you. God, you have given all of us some great gift that the world needs and that we need to exercise. And the adversity that we have to face is going to threaten to make us give up on those gifts and to no longer dream the dreams that you put in our hearts. My prayer is that the story of Joseph that we've considered this morning would be your way of speaking to our hearts and inspiring us with your spirit so that we have courage to keep going. God, the light that you've put inside of each one of us is a light which can be delicate. The things that we have to walk through that are difficult, that we wish we didn't have to walk through, they threaten to extinguish that light. You know it better than we do. But what I ask for this morning is for my brothers and sisters in Christ, for, for the men and women who you've gathered together here and who are listening online, for all of us to recognize that your capable hands are protecting the light that you've put within us from the storms that would blow them out. And I ask that each of us would shine the brighter as our circumstances grow darker so that the light that you've put within us would shine in the world and that light would draw people to you so that the goodness and the benevolence, the kindness, the gentleness, the long-suffering and the patience of of the one true God would be a reality that guides us with each step we take. And as we do this, God, as individuals and as a church all together, I ask that you'd use us to bless the world which you love. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.